Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the TD Pod. I literally don't even know when the last time we did this was. Uh, my wife Arden asked me last night. I said, I think after the BYU game, maybe before the Iowa State game. I, I really don't know. Jeff, do you know the answer to this all-important question? I think it was before the BYU game. or uh, No, it was before the Iowa State game because I think we talked about how the I wasn't that concerned after the BYU game. Right. So uh, that's, I think it was probably after the BYU game. Yeah, and of course we did our little impromptu Twitter space the other day where, or a couple weeks ago where um, you had uh, the opportunity to jump in for a, a few minutes at the end. And uh, it was very helpful because it, you were forced to kind of distill your thoughts, which for loquacious, loquacious yes, individuals like you and I, um, it can be helpful to have that time constraint, which we actually have this morning. We're recording this early in the morning uh, before both of Jeff and I get to work. Um, but I liked what you said at the time, and I think we were very much in agreement. And I, I believe this was before um, this was before the West Virginia game, maybe. Or, or anyway, it doesn't matter. But you basically said this is a really good team that's really young and has some kind of clear issues right now. But we're going to, you know, it's still a really good team that has a lot to build on. Um, we're a couple weeks out from that statement. Baylor's four and three. Um, you know, where are you at as far as, you know, as where are you at today as far as uh, maybe any similarities or differences from where you were a couple weeks ago? I think I'm still on the same path. I really do. I, um, you know, I think about the team. I've watched, I've prepped a lot for this for this game specifically for a bunch of reasons. I think it's a really interesting matchup. I think it's an interesting staff matchup because the staffs are diametrically opposed in how they want to approach football. I mean, it just mm-hmm. two very, very, very different staffs and styles. Um, so, I, this week has been a little bit extra, and um, the other reason I'd say, the reason we also point this out, the reason that we haven't been able to pod really the last month has really been a lot of me. Uh, just for the listeners to know, it's not that I don't really like y'all and I don't enjoy really podcasting with Travis. I, I love talking football and doing all this kind of stuff with you. But um, I started, um, I do want to tell you, I started a, uh, I was diagnosed with ADHD about two months ago. I'm 39 years old. And I know this is a football podcast, but I do want you all to just know this. So uh, I've spent the last three and a half or four weeks discovering that I am, I don't know what the appropriate word is, uh, either neurodivergent or mentally ill or something like that. And I've been like that my entire life. So I've been a little wrapped up in a rather significant change uh, to me as a 39-year-old man for the last month. And that's taken almost all of my podcast energy and travis you have been just so gracious with me and like the fact that i haven't been able to get to this because there's been so much going on right now with dealing with all this i know that sounds really strange to everybody but when you're 39 and you haven't had medication for this and then you start taking it and you realize that the way that you've been the the mental pathways and like the the ruts in your brain for dealing with how you do day-to-day life when you have really bad ADHD, it turns out none of those work when you get on the medicine and you wear your brain out like super fast. So um, I know that's not the point of the podcast, but I do do want you all to know a little bit of what's of, of why that's happening. And I, I only mentioned that because I'm actually going to be starting a blog that's going to be going on a little bit later. It's not going to be a primarily heavy football blog, but I know this is very out of left field, but I just wanted to share that because it's it's been a real big change for me in my life. And I know this is not the time or place for it, but I want y'all to know that that's out there and just it's there. So I, um, 
getting that out of the way, getting back to what you originally asked me, I won't ramble too much on that. I like the team, and I still do. Um, there are aspects to the team that I wish were getting better more quickly, but I like the bones of the team. I like the growth that we've seen from basically every single position, I think, but secondary. And the secondary, we started to see that against Kansas. And so the Kansas game was really, if you'd asked me this after the West Virginia, I would not have been quite and on that space is I wasn't quite as solid. You know, I said, I don't think we've seen any evidence of, of big growth. I don't think this team can go on a run because we haven't seen it yet. But we saw the shoots of that against Kansas. And this, you know, not to be that guy that's all, I don't like, I don't like going into games and saying, like, this is the biggest game of the season. This is the most important game of the season. But based off of matchup and style and a bunch of other things, if Baylor plays well in this game, that means it's very, very likely they're going to play really, really well later on because this tech game is kind of geared towards, or tech style is very much geared towards attacking Baylor's weaknesses right now. And so if you can beat Texas Tech, then that means that you've grown enough as a team that you're able to kind of handle all the different aspects that are going to come down this last month. So I am really excited to see the team play. And of course I won't be able to because I'm 39 year old man and I've got other obligations that are going on during the game uh, Saturday night all of a sudden. But the, um, and I say that I've, I've got my son's birthday party and it's, it's totally, you know, that's, that's the thing. Like, obviously you got to go do that first, but I'm really excited to hear and like see this game live. Cause I think it's going to be a, it's, it's a big culture game for the Dave Aranda era. I do believe that. Yeah, I think uh, I was listening to the early podcast on the way home yesterday, and they brought up the fact that this is um, Kansas game was week seven or game seven for Baylor this year. Um, and the analogous uh, timeline last year was the BYU game at home. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they weren't, uh, you know, I don't want to put words in their mouth, um, but, you know, they weren't saying, hey, like the Kansas performance was as dominant of a flexion point in the season kind of as that BYU game was for Baylor last year but it was pointing out that um, which I think is helpful for the kind of the time frame of the season Jeff this has been a consistent theme that you and I have talked about ever since we started doing the podcast of how coaches handle kids throughout the entire year what are you building for what are your objectives in each um, you know you talk about how NFL coaches see the season in these four game chunks um College coaches can't exactly do that, but you know we talk about how week one, the team in week one is going to be completely different from week nine. Um, so, kind of continuing on this, uh, me prodding you about what you think about the team theme. Um, it's it, we're going into game eight. Um, meaningfully, how is this team different than they were maybe against the conference opener against Iowa State? And also, um, you know, what could we meaningfully expect them? I think a lot of people have been looking at this next three-game chunk. It's at Tech, at OU. Uh, What's the other game thrown in here, Jeff? Um, It's home against Kansas or TCU. I think it's K-State first. Yeah, I think it's TCU. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, so we got that final chunk before the kind of um, TCU-Texas finish of the year. Yeah. what what do you feel like the you know Aranda and 
and the staff's goal is, I guess, uh, obviously it's a week to week thing, but where are they at in, in the season arc things? Cause I, I, I know you really love to think of, um, think of things in that, in that framework, as far as the whole season. I think that they are. So let's go by position. Cause I think it's a great way to phrase it. Like let's go by position group and say, where, where are the, where are these guys compared to where we they needed to be? Um, let's start offensively. Offensive line, they're further ahead. I, the uh, the offensive line performance against Kansas was one of, if not the best offensive line performances I've seen. I think you mentioned this a couple of times in, in your um, write up for Sikkim. I, if I don't want to be putting, your oh no, yeah, out, but... I mean, it's I, I I joke about this because uh, since I got to Baylor in 2011, and I can pretty much assume that anything that happened from like you know whatever the first terrible year was in the late 90s. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I'm like, you know, this was probably the best offensive line performance in the last 20 or 30 years because you can pretty safely assume that. I mean, it was better than anything we saw in the Bryles years. Um, yeah. It was better than anything we saw in the Rule years. So basically you're just asking, was this be- the best performance since Mateos and Grimes got here? And I, I think it was. I think it was too. I just the, the It's one of those things where it's like we're talking about offensive line play and everyone's like, yay. But the offensive line play this against Kansas, like to see those kids start to really figure it out about body positioning and how to play to the last echo of the whistle. And I think a big key when you're an offensive lineman is you you kind of have to, and it's just practice, but you kind of have to learn when to let a block go in the run game. And what I mean by that is particularly in zone blocking, you do a lot of combo blocks, which means like a guy, like a defensive lineman is between two offensive linemen. So it's a tough block for both these guys. So a combo block would be two guys start blocking that individual. And then one of them lets him go and chases paint, which is the phrase I was always taught. But chases paint means you're running up and trying to find either moving to the second level to get a linebacker or you're, you know, you're in a wide zone and you're sprinting out wide to like maintain the, to maintain that ladder. Um, uh, blocking that's basically moving sideways or that rail that's moving sideways towards the sidelines. Um, and it, all of that was just really, really good. And that's all kind of stuff that, you know, is is kind of natural to the position outside of the talent being blocked. You know, it's not like they're blocking the uh, the Eagles, uh, the Eagles defensive front with Jordan Davis and all those monsters. You know, they're in college – these you know you can get overpowered on a block but particularly in college if you know how to position your body and you're strong enough to basically break even um if the offensive line is really working and moving together you don't get blown up a lot because a lot of times you get that kind of combination action which is two people kind of stop the momentum of a defensive player get the angles right for one of them to take over and then the other guy chases up Offensive line was outstanding at that against Kansas. And it's just, that's Jeff, really exciting. Me, uh, I think, you know, I think about the the coaching clinic tape I've seen that Grimes and Mateos have done um, where they use that BYU film of how they want their five offensive linemen to come off the ball and finish a play. And they talk about them all moving as one, um, firing off the ball. I know, I think it's Mateos that says like, you know, we want to be known as the unit that basically fires off the ball harder than anybody else in the country. They run off the ball faster than anybody else in the country. I feel like, you know, this Kansas game is maybe the first time that he would feel comfortable like, hey, throw up any play from that game and I'd feel comfortable like demonstrating it to the entire country of like, this is how Baylor's offensive line plays. Like, maybe that's a bit of an overstatement. Obviously, they've had great games in the past, but it just felt like this felt like the culmination of what they've been trying to 
teach and coach over the past few years. Yeah, this was a game where they you come out of the game and you you come out of that game and you go, you can really lean on the offensive line. Like it's that type of performance where you get done with the game and you go, whatever else happens in the game that's coming up, yep. they're going to be able to lean on that. That's a, that's a big deal, particularly when you go on the road. Offensive like line play travels, that's, that's a real big thing. Line play works in the rain. It works in the snow. It works in the minus 30 degree weather. It works when it's 110 in September. Line play works and it travels. Mm-hmm. So that they have that is is really awesome. Um, since we both have to get to work, let's let's sprint yeah, through this yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're gonna get through like two positions. Yeah. Um, tie, uh, tight end follow up. Uh, I that was earlier in the season was a little, uh, but right now I I think the growth has been has been solid. Um, there's still some blocking stuff there sometimes where I'm like I wish it was a little better, but they're also college kids and I think that that has done well. Uh, wide receiver. Dallas Baker, full homo, I love you. Like <laughs> Dallas Baker, Dallas Baker is an outstanding wide receiver coach. Yep. The growth in the wide receivers since the BYU game is ridiculous. It's just been ridiculous. Um I am I was not like super concerned after the BYU game because again, these these are young kids, y'all. I mean, they're young kids. And every I know I keep saying that, but I want everyone to imagine like take yourselves back to when you were 19 and you were in the dorm or you were a sophomore and you didn't want to go to class or your girlfriend broke up with you. Like I had more, it's complicated messages on AOL instant messenger. Like just think about like what a nerd or dork or loser you were when you were 19. Cause everybody was a little bit and then project that like, that's still the mentality of kids that play ball. I mean, it really is. They still have that, like, kid-like nature to them in a lot of ways. I mean, it's not that they're not grown men. It's not that they don't play hard. It's not that they're not tough. It's none of that. It's just that your brain isn't fully mature. As my wife says, you don't have a fully developed frontal lobe. That was her. That's that's her decision for describing some of the bad decisions that I made when I was, you know, younger than 24. Um, and those kids are there and they have that. And so the with the wide receiver play, it's just been it's been great. Like Baldwin, Baldwin has taken a big step forward. Uh, Hal Presley is that's been the guy specifically that I've seen throughout the course of the year that just looks like he's he looks like really- a guy to me who is playing better than he himself realizes. Um, yeah. I think you see some of the, sometimes that. Uh, with yep. young guys where it's like they're doing everything right, but they don't they don't realize that they are. And so it's difficult for them to feel like they can fully utilize that. Um, that's kind of I don't know. It, it's That's very clear and obvious what that means to me. Hopefully that comes through on audio and um, is decipherable. But yeah, and that's generally. Yeah. I think that and I think what that basically means is like you've got all the you've got all the kindling there. You're kind of just waiting for the spark. And I think we've seen a few flashes, but I think what we're going to see is maybe maybe it isn't till next year. But at some point, this kid's going to have a 12 catch, 140 yard game and is never going to look back on uh, how he's been previously and i'm excited for whenever that happens um if if that were to happen again this week at texas tech baylor's winning this game and it's not even close i'm not betting on it um but i I think yeah the growth we've seen from him just a quick comment on tight ends for me um i think we've seen drake get his uh drake dabney get his feet underneath him over the past few weeks he was very good against kansas um 
and then I guess we want to get to running backs here, Jeff. Um, uh, I, bef- uh, before we step into running backs, real quick, um, or no, go ahead and actually, Jeff, just give me your impressions on uh, on what you're seeing from from guys like Richard Reese, Quaylen, who like. Let, let me be what, what's your full open kimono here like dude i had i had totally written off quaylen i never expected him to get a carry of any significance this season um you know if you're listening quaylen or quaylen's mom or anybody else i'm sorry that i felt that way but um anyway um you know he's been very valuable this year and i think that's cool to see that even you know guys who were down on the depth chart previously are playing well so jeff what are you seeing from that room so a little bit of his TBD, honestly, because of Squirrel and Tate. But it, we'll, we'll focus on we'll focus on Reese and Quaylen. Both those guys have grown tremendously this year. Quaylen had a run against Kansas where he was pressing the front side, and it wasn't there. And so at the correct at the exact right moment, he put his foot in the ground and went off the backside tackle just to get three yards. Mm-hmm. And that's a it was a three yard run, but it was. They ended up getting a first down two plays later, and they it was ended a up plus, getting. A, it was a plus uh, five yard decision because it's a negative two yard play if you press that front side and get tackled for a loss. Yes, and he made the he made that's the decision point that Ebner struggled with, which was you know a lot of times in the out in, in the wide zone scheme, running backs are always trying to get the edge. It's always the first thing. I'm, I'm, you know, I run a four, four, I'm blazingly fast. All I got to do is get the edge and I'm gone. And he, he made the decision at the right point and went, put his foot in the ground and went upfield. And it was a great, I mean, it was just a great play. Um, the Reese has been, Reese has been outstanding. Like his ability, he reminds me of, uh, Marion Barber in a lot of ways with how he finishes. He keeps his pad level really low, now, um, he's also really young, so his contact balance is not great yet because that's one of those things that you can't – it's hard to develop in high school because you're just running away from guys all the time. Like, you don't – you're not in the box and in the thick of it and taking hits all the time when you're in high school. It's just a different game for these type of athletes. So, you know, that's something that he'll develop over the next couple of seasons um, and I think get really better at. But he's just he's great in the box. He knows how to finish. He knows how to finish a run. He knows how to get his pad level low, lean forward. Um, This is one of the things that Zeke Elliott does phenomenally well. Like Zeke Elliott finishes every run with his shoulder pads like somehow seemingly 24 inches off the ground. I don't know how he does it, but he does. And he always finishes with like two to three extra yards because... He knows how to finish it, and Reese has that. Um, I, so it's he's been great. Like the growth of those two guys, uh, and we'll we'll put Tay and Squirrel because the injury stuff. We'll just park them. You know, yeah. I can't really say on Tay, and I can't really say on Squirrel because of the injuries. That's not plus or minus. That's just kind of a fact. Um, but with those two guys, they're both much much better. So um, I mean, they just are. And then when you go to QB, like. Y'all, Shapin's Shapin's growth this year has been has been has been really good. It has been like if we're not. If you look at Shapin's performance and don't think that's a great college quarterback, you need to watch more college football. Exactly. That's not. If you watch Shapin's performance and think like that's not a great college quarterback, you got to watch more. Like he is. He has some. One of the things I like about Shapin, and you can really see this is it's pretty evident that the coaching staff is picking a few select things to really drill on him. So for example, he took a hit, I think in the Texas state game, I cannot remember where he scrambled out and he went for it 
and he really wanted to get a first down, but it wasn't third. It was like second down. So he plowed ahead and got the first, and he got popped hard. And I actually, I remember we talked about this. I tweeted about it. Like, he, he couldn't do it. And then after that, the coaches were all over him on the decision-making, and he started sliding like a hair too early. But that's okay because it means he's listening to the coaching, and he's taking the coaching like all the way in. And so one of the things you can see with him right now in the pocket is I, I he doesn't have always great decision-making in the pocket on when to leave. Sometimes he hangs too long. Sometimes I think, he that's, his, I think that's his biggest weakness. Yeah. But you can tell that they're really working on it. He really wants to make a play in the pocket rather than just roll out. Like you can tell that that's been a massive coaching point of you've got to get through your progressions. You can't just bail out to your right and then just sling it like you want to because you can do that. And so to me, when I see him hanging in the pocket a little long or being a little loose with the ball in the pocket, that to me is I'm trying to do what the coaches tell me. And what the coaches are telling me is I have to get through my progressions correctly before I can get into bailout mode. And I have to learn to trust the offensive line. And so, particularly because I mean, this is his first. This is his first starting year. It's not like he's three years into this. Okay, you know, his first starting year, your pocket awareness is not always great because the only like the coaches are telling him, "Don't worry about anything else unless you have a guy in your face." Go through your progressions. That's all you need to do. Like control what you can control and do that. So he is a little loose with the ball with his decision making, um, and then out of the pocket, he you know the ball's a little all over the place. That that's one he just needs to clean up. But that's a I'm honestly like I know that's like annoying to see that uh, fumble against Kansas and go back, but that's that's just one of those things that kids that young kids do that NFL players don't because most people watch more NFL and you just get more comfortable with that. So his growth has been great. Like drones was shockingly good yeah. in relief. I mean, I don't mean shocking. Like we didn't know that kid could play that way, but to step in with that much confidence in your decision-making process, I think is a real testament to the coaching staff again of like next man up, let's go. Yeah, Jeff, yeah. I'm very conscious of, of what questions I choose to ask you since we're on a bit of a time crunch. Um, but quickly, how how does that happen? Uh, we saw this with Shapin last year against Kansas State, and then obviously like not missing a beat with with Gary out. Um, Drones comes in, and it's just like I know, I know the standard is the standard is something that you know we we talk about how you know this coaching staff holds itself to. It's just like it doesn't matter, next man up, all that kind of stuff. But like every coaching staff says that. How do you have a kid literally come take his first most meaningful snaps of all time on the road in a situation like that? And it's just like I think every other every announcer when that happens, they're like, well, they're going to simplify the game for him. They're going to give him some of these throws. It was like, no, like he's all in. Like, how do you build that kind of culture as a coaching staff to to make that to make that possible for kids? Um, it's a testament to the fact that the coaching staff puts as much effort into your second string guy as your first string guy. That's where that comes from. Um, the when you know when the kids are in the building and they're talking to the staff and they're in the meeting room or they meet the guy, you know, they run into the staff members or the coaches in the hallway or the locker room. I mean, like just all over the place. I mean, because they're in, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to visualize for, for us, but they're all in the building together, you know, all 100 and I guess probably 25 to 40, 125 to 140, like total staff members and kids and all the support staff. Like it's about that size of a unit. Okay. And they're all in 
they're all in the building together. They see each other all the time. And when you get to, when you see stuff like this, that tells you that the coaching staff coaches the second and third stringers as hard as the first because they know, or they they know when they step in, they have the confidence that the coaches trust them. And they have, like, the coaches have been building up that confidence of, like, you're going, like, this is, you know, they tell them, like, you're going to have to step in at some point this season. I don't know when it's going to be, but it's going to happen. You are going to. So you have to prepare every play like you could be going in the next play. And to see the quarterbacks actually execute that is, I mean, Sean Bell's doing a great job, honestly. Um, Shouldn't surprise anybody, Aggie Slayer, Sean Bell. But the... um, but he's just he's doing a great job and it's there. Um defensively uh, defensively let, let me just drop in here before we flip yeah. over to defense. Um I just want to pound the table given what you said about the quarterback. I'm um you know, I am uh, liable to overanalyze quarterback play because you know, it's just kind of so obvious and to watch it there and every mistake is so clear, but like in massive agreement with what Jeff has said, like um just watch college football. Uh I didn't stay awake to watch the game last night. Uh, but Virginia Tech and North Carolina State played and the over under in that game was like 38 or 39. And it's because they have terrible quarterback play and their offenses are terrible. And like anytime they can execute any sort of passing concept, like their coaching staff has to be thrilled because it's hard to get these these college quarterbacks to be able to do anything well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yes. Shapen, is he making three, four, five, six mistakes a game? Yes. But most quarter most college quarterbacks are making 15 to 20. Um, even Jason Bean, who played a hell of a game, I thought against Baylor this past one is just not at the level to be able to kind of consistently execute in a way that Blake Shapin has showed with decision-making. Um, so anyway, I think Baylor's in a really good spot at quarterback. Um, I think it's pretty remarkable, Jeff, just overall with this offense. Like when you look back at these past few weeks, Baylor is basically either turning the ball over or scoring on every possession. Um, yeah, all right. I mean, honestly, it, when you go back to the Iowa State game, even uh, Iowa State has a legit. I mean, look at any advanced stat you want. They have a top ten defense in the country. Um, it's their best ever defense under Matt Com- Campbell, I think. Um, they're legit. I think they're going to do really, really well against Oklahoma this week. But anyway, Baylor put up thirty four points, pretty ho hum in that game. This offense is really humming. Um, I know the point totals probably aren't there to where fans maybe are seeing that. Um, so I'm gonna I will interrupt you on this because no, like, this uh, is I'm done. very fascinated on on the uh, this is I'm very fascinated about this game. So it, 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 one thing for fans like when you look at the Art Briles days, one of the things that stands out about the Art Briles case is how many possessions they ran. Yep. So if you're having like 14 to 16 possessions a game and you score three points per possession, then Every game, you're going to have a point total in the 40s or 50s, and it feels like your offense is just killing it. Baylor doesn't have that. Baylor has a team that wants to do, like, nine possessions a game. I mean, not half, but, like, 60%. And so Baylor's approach is, I want to do, you know, let's say 10 possessions a game and score four points per, per possession, which would be in your upper 30s. So you have a more efficient offense that generates more points per possession, but the point total is always going to be lower and the yardage is always going to be lower. 
because they don't have as many possessions per game. And that is designed purely to protect the defense. And that's something we'll get into in a big way here at Tech. But I I think the fans really need to understand that like when this offense really gets there, this offense can be just as good as the elite Art Bryles units, but in a very different way. Points per possession, two really good metrics to look at, y'all, are always yards per drive um, and points per possession. That's a really good baseline kind of football 201 type thing if you want to get into it which is how many points are we generating per per possession and if that number is over four you're doing really really good and baylor's numbers like upper threes to lower fours right now depending on the opponent and if they can keep like if baylor gets four points per possession against texas tech they're probably going to win they probably are yep so it just that's it, it's a way to think about it like ignore the yardage ignore the point totals look at it per drive because one of the two biggest things for the game tomorrow is going to be who controls the pace of that game yes you know what i mean and so if if baylor has a if it's a 10 possession game and tech scores three points per possession and baylor scores scores four points per possession tech's going to score 28 to 31 points and Baylor's going to score 30, 38 to 41 and they're going to win by one or two possessions. So that's, that's, I know I interrupted you on that for, for that, for, for the fan at home, like don't look at point totals. It's a very misleading stat. Yep. Like look at points per possession. If Let's, you're, do if this. You're Let's do this, Jeff. Um, I will prevent myself from asking any sort of addendum questions. I will not make any comments. Um, but I want to I want to make sure we have at least 20 to 30 minutes to talk about the tech game. So if you can do a five minute sprint through um, Baylor's defense right now, what they're good at, what they're bad at, where they need to improve, um, do it however you want to do it. Um, ready. I'm going to give a shout out to my boss because um, I'm not going to mention his name since I didn't ask him, but uh, he has a phrase whenever we're talking, um, whenever we're talking to some of the software engineers on our team and I, uh, someone mentions, and I used to do this all the time. I said, well, I've got a problem with X, um, with X, Y, Z, and I won't bore y'all with any technical jargon, but you know, so, so-and-so is not working. And he would always go, it's not a problem. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to introduce a solution. <laughs> so I would say that the defense has no problems. They have opportunities for growth and for improvement. Um, that's what we use. Um, so, okay, let's spread through this. Let's start with the defensive line. Defensive line has been a bit of a, it's probably been the one part where I felt a little disappointed this year. And I think it's probably due to injuries. Um, I know that there've been a lot of kids that have been really struggling there and I don't, and so I'm kind of, kind of leave it at that. I, that's, that's kind of been my understanding. There's been a lot of kids that have been banged up this year. Um, but I was when I came into the season, I expected I honestly kind of expected what we what we've been seeing out of the secondary. I thought the front seven would be more dominant. Um, and I think at least at the defensive line level, um, they haven't been, but it's been because they've been banged up. I, the, there have been some inconsistency issues with a few guys that I really, I really wish that they could kind of take ownership and like push through that. But again, they're college kids and we don't know what all's going on. Um, but I would, I would like to see, I would like to see more out of that unit just in general, not that they're playing badly. Just, I think it's important to always say this. There's a difference between a unit that doesn't play. That's not, that's playing poorly 
and a unit that's not playing as well as they could right. at this point of the season. You know what I mean? And so a way to phrase that is like a month ago, I never thought that Baylor's offensive line was like really playing poorly. They just weren't playing quite as well as you might've wanted them to at this point of the season in a couple yeah. of games. Um, yeah. By and large, Baylor's all- defensive line is make is doing their jobs, um, but not yeah. a lot of splash plays at this point. Yeah. Um, linebackers been a bit of it's been a different issue, um, and I'll, I'll rope the jack in there as well. They are rotating a huge number of kids at the will linebacker spot. Um, I, the reason I think they're doing that is I don't I don't think any of those guys has, has really distinguished himself in all three phases of the game. Um, you know, interior in basically interior uh, run defense, the ability to drop back in your zone, and the ability to execute a pass rush. I each. It seems like every every kid that they put out there, whether it's Matt Jones or Will Williams or Tyrone Brown, um, Brooks Miller. There's a what? Brooks Miller. Yeah, Brooks Miller. Yeah, thank you. Uh, the, the legendary Brooks Miller. Um, the like all four of those guys are really good at one aspect and struggling to develop the other two aspects of their game, and that's that's slowed the defense. And that's not, by the way, that's not one of those kids. That's all of those kids. Okay. Um, and you know, you went from Bernard back there, who was a great player for a lot of years for Baylor to guys that still need to grow into that mindset for, for a bunch of different reasons. You know, um, it's tough, you know, in the case of Matt Jones, like it's really tough to make the move from being off the line of scrimmage to a true off ball move linebacker. All your angles change. Your the way that you move your feet changes. I mean, it's it's a significant difference and and change in mindset. So the fact that he has um, not always played as well as he possibly could in like pass coverage situations, like that's pretty understandable. It is, and you know, it, for us to sit here and say like, you know, he's like he's got to play better. Well, he knows that, and but it's it's a hard transition to make, y'all. Like it's it's a very it's a very different thing in the way you have to move and the way you have to pick up crossers, particularly with the way that Aranda wants them to pick up crossers to de- defeat things like mesh or a lot of these man coverage concepts. Like the way that he wants them to play the um, to play those coverages puts a lot on the linebacker. Like they ask their linebackers to do a lot. It's not an easy position to play at all. Um, so it, it's. The, there have been struggles from that Will linebacker spot, but all those kids are playing hard, and I think they are getting better. I really do that. I really do think that. They just – none of them are good in all facets of the game, and so you see them rotating a lot at that spot just because I think they're trying to get more reps on all these kids so that eventually someone's going to get comfortable in all three phases enough to become the full-time starter. They just haven't – it just hasn't happened yet. Um that's that's one that's one spot that I missed in my preseason. I always like to say when I'm wrong because I'm wrong all the time, and it's okay because if you're trying to learn football and you're like I don't know what's going on, it, guess what? Like I have no idea. Like I, I studied this team pretty heavily in the off season, and I totally missed on this. I did. And if I thought about it, like as soon as I saw by about the third game, I remember thinking, how in the world did I miss this? How in the world did I think this was going to be automatic? And it's because I was wrong. And so it, the it's it should have been expected from us that that position was going to take a little bit of time to settle in. And I think you and I just missed on that. Um, but it's it's it is getting there. And then Doyle Doyle's been great. I mean, he's just been great. He knows the team. Uh, he knows the scheme. He he's just been great. Like 
I love that kid. Full yeah. stop. Um, secondary. Secondary has been a little under what I wanted it to be. Um, I think that I think it's very important for everyone to realize that they're not running the normal defense that Aranda has ran last year. That really is true. So they run a something they run something that Cody Alexander refers to as a country coverage, which is instead of covering the man, I'm covering grass in a particular area. My belief is that they're doing that because they want to teach technique for the zone match schemes that they run for all of these super young secondary kids. Um, and it's been hit or miss. That's just the honest answer. Uh, the West Virginia game was a lot of miss. Mm-hmm. The Kansas game was a lot better. Okay. It's still questionable in some areas. But again, they're really young. They're on national TV. And they're trying to make a play. And the thing that I like about the secondary is when you see when you see the mistakes, and sometimes they're in the in, in the case of one individual, like I'm not going to say his name, but this kid loves to be 15 yards off the ball, see the ball coming his way, gear himself up like Popeye, and go flying into completely whiff on a tackle. And I don't think it's because he doesn't like contact. And I don't think it's because he's scared of the ball. I just think he's like so over amped to like land a kill shot that he goes like flying past the guy, like literally something out of a cartoon. And there's been a couple of times where the ball, I, I know you, I know you, I see that smile on your face. I know you know who I'm talking about. Well, don't say that. It's just, I, I won't, I won't, I won't. It's just, this is just funny to me to contrast this with uh, Elliot Coffey on uh, the Art Daily podcast. He said, so uh, I think it was either Peter or, or David uh, made basically the point you're making. It's like, guys are trying to hit hard. And Elliot was like, man, I'm telling you, there's a guy like this on every team who his version, he can fake his way to saying like, oh, I'm trying to hit really hard. But in reality, that's them sit like, it's actually because they don't like contact by like gearing up so hard and then whiffing. It's a way to avoid contact. So it's just funny to see like there's two ways to interpret this. Like the only person who knows this is is the kid himself. Yeah. Um, but anyway, sorry. I'm just, that's what no, I was laughing about. Coffee is, I mean, coffee is 100% right on that. Like that, that and there's a guy like that on every team. There's a guy like that on every team. Um, I'm going to view this as glass half full and that it's, he's just like, so excited. He's like a puppy, you know, like, <laughs> and then all of a sudden he just can't make the play. That's how I'm going to view it. And not the, I, I'm scared of contact. Um, the only person that knows that is the kid, but um, it's like, it's a lot of that. Like Lemire, God bless Lemire. He had a, he had a couple plays early in the season where he went in and they, this is a, this is a teach tape for them, which is they really like guys to put their shoulder into the hands because it disrupts the ball and it either stops the catch or it causes the fumble. Well, Lemire like have one pass breakup and one forced fumble in a game off of that technique, and now it's all he does, and it's really kind of funny. Like he's missing a lot of easy tackles because he's trying to like get the ball out, and it's it's that kind of stuff. Like it's not like he's he's young, and I, I know I keep saying he's young, but like I just want everyone to know that it's not. This isn't like twenty seven year old men playing NFL ball, like. He had success doing something. Like I remember one. The, the, this is going to sound really dumb, but I, this is I contrast it to me. Like I had a play in high school. I, I'm actually going there. I had a play in high school one time where I managed to get a strip sack, and like as I was stripping it, I accidentally grabbed onto the ball, and when I pulled it out, I was holding onto it. It's total. It's total fluke luck. Yeah. 
and scored a touchdown. But then you wanted to do that every play. <laughs> the number of tackles that I missed yeah. for like the next season and a half yeah. because I was just like flailing at the ball and not trying to tackle like was astronomical. The amount of times that I got cursed out because I was a defensive lineman that was like trying to kiss the kiss the ball carrier to take the ball from him was a lot. And so it just particularly it's kind of funny like when you have success with that yep. you just keep doing it because it worked that one time and it was awesome i got the ball for my team yep. and there's a lot of that going on with those secondary kids of like not knowing sometimes like when to do the right technique for like when to go for the ball or when to you know it's a lot of that they're just there's so much information that goes into playing football at this level that you just it just takes time and it just takes experience and it just takes practice. So there was another guy, I, I, it may have been Mo Porter, I can't remember, that had a tweet after um, the West Virginia game and he was like, guys, they're close. It's just a lot of really young kids in a lot of really important spots. And that's that really is how I view the secondary. You can see the talent. You can see the speed. Um, the the one thing that I'm really curious about, the, the cornerback play, I'm a little surprised we haven't seen more press because they're so off the ball and that's not a technique that you can just kind of learn automatically. You have to learn it in the spot or you have to like practice it. You got to practice it. You got to practice it. And they haven't seen that quite yet. So that's the one thing that I'm a little interested in is when are they going to start introducing press more and more? Are they going to wait till some of the younger freshmen are, they feel comfortable enough with them to do that because I know that they recruited off of that skill set. I don't know, but it's, it's that's interesting. That... It's interesting too, because they play a lot of cover two and a lot of cover three, um, which both of those lend themselves well to playing press. Um, they it's yeah, interesting. And they haven't been doing that uh, because, you know, in cover two, obviously you can jam and stand the flats and in cover three, you can play that press bail technique that we saw Raleigh Tejada do so well over the years. So, it's curious that I, you know, I, I imagine every coaching staff at every point of every season is in a battle between how much do we install stuff for guys to be good at them in the future versus what are they best at right now? That is that is the central tension of a coaching staff. And I imagine that's exactly what they're going through at cornerback right now. That is an outstanding point, And that is a great transition into the Texas Tech game yes. because – Texas Tech and Baylor have taken complete opposite approaches to this statement. And that's it's super evident when you watch the tape. Um, Baylor Aranda has spoken about this at length. This is not this is not hidden knowledge. Like he has said all of this in public, in press conferences many, many times. So this is just repeating what he has said out loud, which is they have a process. They believe very much in teaching technique and trying to build confidence. That's what they're concerned about right now. And if they get that right, they think they're going to have a great, great team. Um, that's that's been the primary focus. That's how they, they that's how they've approached it every position. That's how they're going through it. Um, tech tech's doing the exact opposite right now, offensively at least. I mean, they are, and it just it's it's fascinating because there's going to be a very it's going to be a. It's just two totally different styles of coaching going into this weekend, and I'm not here to tell you that one is better than the other because I, 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 there's. It's just different. I think that's the honest approach. Is why I love football. I, it's just different. Jeff, and, um, speak speak less vague. Be more direct here. What do you What do you mean about what Tech is doing differently than than Baylor? Prior to 
so you can see all this stuff on this is all on tape and it's super obvious okay this is not again no hidden knowledge it's just like you turn on the tape you can see it the coaching staff sees it everyone knows what's going on they just don't say it. tech doesn't say it out loud because they don't want to say it out loud but <laughs> they don't say some, our offensive line can't pass protect so we were never going to ask them to pass protect <laughs> so I am. I've been. So I've been thinking a lot about that coaching staff, and I, I'm going to go do a little bit of a diatribe here. Which is when when Joey left, my assumption was that he was going to do his version of the rule system, and the rule system is we're going to put you in a very martial culture. We're going to take these mega athletes, put them in a very martial, strict. Everyone's in the building for like forty to fifty hours a week type culture. We're going to teach a very dense and complex playbook. We're going to teach a lot of technique. And if it doesn't matter how athletically talented you are, if you don't get the technique right, you don't play. And so Rule believed that so strongly. Like, that's why they lost all those games in 2017. Like, the idea that they only had enough talent to win one game is just not valid. Rule looked at that team and said, I'm going to actively choose to risk losing a bunch of games because I want the team to know that this is how we're going to approach this going forward. Like we're going to pull guys in big spots, even if they're the better player, because they didn't do something correctly. Like the technique and getting the play right and playing hard, like all three of those things matter on every single play. So that's, there's a lot more to the rule system, but that's the rule system like in the in a nutshell. It's doing that and then like rule is an expert motivator for college kids. I don't obviously I don't think that worked well with the pros, but for college kids, he's outstanding, like full stop. And so he was able to mar- marry his um he was able to marry his motivational skill set with this martial culture. And they were able to take a bunch of mega athletic kids and mold them into solid football players. So that was my assumption that what Joey was going to do. But it took a couple um, of years. And it took a couple of years. That lasted like a month for Texas Tech. Um, Texas Tech has, at least offensively, Texas Tech has taken that and they have thrown that completely out of the window. And they're running the Art Browse scheme. And they are. Like, they're running the Hun. They, they I, the only reason, like, the only reason to do that is to win games. And that seems like, well, Doug, you want to win games, but Rule didn't want to win games in 2017. Like, that's a factual statement. Like, Rule did not want to win games in 2017. They only won one game. Like, his goal was to instill that culture, instill that mindset of teaching and focus and attention to detail, and we'll worry about winning games in year two, which is what they did. In year two, in 2018, they stopped doing that. Every time you make a mistake, you get yanked. Every time you don't play hard, you get yanked. Like it was very a, they, they started doing a little bit more of we're trying to win this game, but particularly in season one, I mean, rule was like, yeah, I'll lose the game. I don't care. And I just, that, that really was the case. And that lasted like through the University of Houston game. And they, they should have lost the Houston game. They had a couple of like super fluky plays at the end that they were able to win. Not fluky, just Houston crapped all over themselves. Fourth and 20. And then, and then going into the Texas game, they were like, yeah, we want to win. Like, we really want to win. And so they threw their entire offense out of the field. Like, they threw their entire offense out. And it's it's been really weird to watch. And so, it, particularly last week, and it, it's been, it, it hasn't been like a single switch. 
But they have completely, particularly in this last game against West Virginia, they have almost completely transitioned away from what Zach Kitley did um, at Western Kentucky, I believe. Sorry, that name's not coming to me off the top of my head mm-hmm. immediately. They've transitioned almost completely away from that normal style, and they're just running something that, that to me, looks like the Art Brow scheme. I mean, it's like stacked wide receiver formations. The goal is to get to a crap load of plays. They run as fast as they can. Um, and the big thing that I, you see this on, like the offensive scheme is, and this was true of Art Bryles. So this was true of Art Bryles. Like when Baylor went to the combo under Art Bryles, they ran like JV level schemes. That's true. And it looks like that for Kitley. So like their offense is the most basic offense on the face of the earth. And here's how it works. On standard downs, they take two shot plays. They don't run the ball. They don't believe in running the ball. Now, I think they don't believe in running the ball because their offensive line is atrocious, but they don't believe in running the ball. It's a lot like Baylor in 2008, that first year of Hart Bryles, where they just did a bunch of crazy stuff at a million miles an hour. Um, And they only won four games. But um, they did a bunch of crazy stuff at a million miles an hour. So on standard downs, if the numbers are even in the box, they're throwing it. If they are plus one, they're throwing it. The only time that they run the ball on standard downs is literally if they have a mind, if they have a plus two advantage in the box. So if Baylor wants them to run the ball, they can put like three to four guys in the box. And if they don't want them to run the ball, they put five guys or more. And Tech is literally never going to run the ball on standard downs in this game. Um, just like with Art, the first two plays of a four down possession were about picking up big chunks. So play action, deep throw, or just drop back. Of course, their offensive line isn't any good, so the ball has to come out within like 1.5 seconds. So it's a lot of they're, those like cover two hole shots where they're they're throwing the ball 15 yards downfield, but there there's no there's no uh, deep play action to Monterey Baldwin post play in this offense. They just can't pass protect long enough. The quarterback's not being asked to make reads. The quarterback is being asked to do that Art Browse thing where you snap the ball, you look dead out one specific defensive player. Don't move what your that, feet. <laughs> yeah. And then the defensive player, based off what that defensive player's hips open to, like does he open to what he's going to have like two guys to one side, based off where that defensive player open his hips to, the ball goes to the other spot and the ball's out in 1.2 seconds. Like that's the offense. And so that's what they do on first and second downs. Then where they have made a killing has been on third and 10. And so every third and 10 call is the exact same, which is – Defensive coaches, um, defensive coaches love to give up, and I, this is the right. This has been the right approach for a hundred plus years of football. But defensive coaches love to give up six to seven yards on fourth and ten because if you can give up six to seven yards, excuse me, on third and ten. If defensive coaches give up six to seven yards on third and ten, then you can guarantee yourself a gang tackle at after a six yard gain, and you're not going to get the first down. So what Tech does is on third and ten, depending on the point in the field, they call three, they call one, two, or three plays. And so the call is what the third down call. The other two play calls are what do we do if it's like fourth and fourth and three to fourth and five? And the other play call is what do we do if it's fourth and one to fourth and two? And depending on where the ball lands, there is like they don't huddle, they don't discuss, they don't do anything. They sprint to the line and call the play that was called that was called prior to the third down play. And so the number of fourth down conversions they pick up because they sprint to the line and then run inside zone for three yards on fourth and two 
is significant because the defensive line's on position. They're tired. They like fourth down plays a lot about gearing yourself up for maximum effort. You just got done with the previous play. You know, it's a lot of running around. And they just run up and they they run that play and they convert on fourth down. They converted a crazy amount of fourth down plays because of that. And they have kind of they've been able to hack that a little bit. And so when I say that's the entire offense, like that's the entire offense. So they're going to do that and they're going to go as fast as they can and get a huge number of plays, wear out the defense, wear out the defensive line. Um, and that's all they want to do. That's all they want to do. And like when you see them in the red zone, like the red zone stuff looks comical because they can't block. And that should remind everybody of the early Art Browse years when Art Browse stupidest stuff imaginable in red zone because they never practiced like being in a three-point. And so they couldn't block anybody. And so the goal, like Texas Tech is not good in the red zone um, because they don't have an offensive line and they're not good situationally. Everything that Texas Tech does is pace. That's the entire offense. The they can't. The offensive line is bad. I think the quarterback is the quarterback. I'm kind of out on because if you're like this offense, really is snap the ball, one read of a defensive player, throw it. That's not hard to do. It's just not. And he's good at it. He's better than some of the. Uh, he's better than some of the other players that they QBs that they've had that have done it, and they've kind of been able to ramp it up because he's able to read that quickly and pull the trigger. But it's still not like super difficult to do. And so the entire point of the Texas Tech offense is we're going to press you as hard as we can and wait for you to make a mistake. Right. We're not going to try to out-execute you. We're just going to try to put as much pressure on you as possible and wait for you to fold. Um, and it's it's the exact opposite of what Baylor does. Baylor's very concerned with very complex offensive line technique. Texas Tech cuts guys on third and eight. I mean, it's like comical. Cut, I mean, it really is. Blocks, like, yeah. I mean, they, they're cut blocking on pass plays on third and eight. And it's just like, what are we doing here? I mean, it works, but it's is, also. This is just a quick point I want to make, Jeff. Like, I think this crystallizes the the theme of what you've been talking about, which is Texas Tech is going to get to spring ball, spring ball next year. And um, their offensive line might not be really much better than when they end the season because they simply won't have any reps on true pass protection. And so that's where it gets very tough to try and get all of your improvement in spring ball because the rule approach basically, you know, most coaches would probably say this too. It's like, there's nothing like live game reps for, for pointing out your mistakes on film and learning from them. And, I th- you know I know I know we're kind of up against it here, um, and a lot of this can sound negative on McGuire or what Tech is doing, but make no bones make no bounds about it. They're producing the best version of what Texas Tech's offense could be this year because they have an offensive line who can't pass protect, they can't really run block. Their skill talent is okay, but for a Big Twelve level, probably below average at best, and yet they're producing an offense that's like you know pretty middle of the pack in the big 12, whereas, you know, their talent and first year scheme would otherwise have them at eighth, ninth or 10th, most likely. And so this is the best version of what they're doing. You know, how that impacts them for the future. We'll see, but for this game um, and for our last few minutes here, Jeff, I, you know, I want to hear you talk about um, Aranda and Roberts. They have made their, they have made all their money, all of their names in the coaching circles by making simple, sophisticated, um, their playbook defensively isn't really that big. It's all based on a few foundational 
concepts. Um, and so, you know, is this going to be is this going to be um, a, a bonus for them? And in, in so far as can they defend the this super up tempo plays uh, with their simple concepts well? Yeah. So I said reverse that there because I think you meant they make this the, the sophisticated simple. And so you were. You oh, said sorry. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. My bad. Um, yeah. So uh, one one more thing on one more thing on the offense. I want to I want to point this out. I don't necessarily think that's a negative. I think it's a deliberate choice by the coach. Sure. And it's just two different coaching styles. It's not that I'm like call, like I'm not calling out Joey McGuire. I'm not doing that. I'm just pointing out a factual statement that they have traded they have traded growth in their players from a technique standpoint for a chance at immediate wins this year. Now that may be the right decision because when I look at their offensive line, like I don't I, I like I don't I don't see a lot of I don't see a lot of kids on that on the line that are like legitimate really good players. I just don't. Um so maybe the idea is that we're gonna wait for to get more talent in there before we try to quote unquote work it that way. It's just a deliberate it's but it is a deliberate choice and it's worth pointing out because it's 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 such a schematic and stylistic difference between the two staffs. Um okay so getting to getting to the defense um I Sorry, can you repeat that question? Because you, you talked for that wasn't. No, quite it's okay. Sure. We only we only have about six or seven minutes here, and uh, you know, I just was curious whether you thought Baylor's kind of more simplistic structure would be able to hold up well against their tempo. I mean, I think that's probably. A... Go ahead. I, I do, the thing that's going to be interesting is we talked about press earlier. Like, this would be a great game to be able to press yeah. because there's a version because of the way they play. Like, if you pull if you pull Baylor's secondary from last year into this game. <laughs> like Tech would score like 13 points. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like Tech would score 13 points, and this game would be a 30-point blowout. They really would. Um, but, of course, they don't have last year's secondary. They have this year's secondary. And there's not a lot of evidence that they're comfortable pressing. Well, if they don't press, they're going to stack their wide receivers and, get, and pick up six-yard gains all the way down the field. Yeah. So, they're. I mean, they're going to have to press at some point. That's just going to have to happen. Um. So I don't know, because again, like we've talked about this in the past, but our Brawls offense was a constraint-based offense, full stop. This is a constraint-based offense, full stop. It's actually really easy to look and see where the ball is going to go pre-snap if you're paying it. Like, just watch the game in front of you and see the guy. Look and try to find the skill position player that has the def- defender furthest from him. <laughs> There's a chance the ball's just going to go there yeah. immediately. That's, that's not BS. That's just really how this scheme works. Um, Art used to say, ball goes where they ain't. Mm. And I always thought that was a pretty funny phrase, but it's true for that system. Ball goes where they ain't. Um, Sorry, Jeff, real quick here. Fans inevitably lose their minds whenever uh, we give up, you know, a five-yard slant on, um, or excuse me, like a seven-yard slant on third and nine, or or, excuse me, on like third and five. Um, Is there any merit, like when that happens this game, is that always going to be a mistake on the the kid or is that going to be a conscious choice for Baylor to prevent big plays? That's going to be a conscious choice for Baylor. So the other thing that that Art did, Art the Art system was really good at racking up yards between the twenties and really bad executing outside the twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, this is absolutely a scheme to if you're gonna you're gonna need to rotate a crap load of defensive linemen and Tech is probably not going to let you sub. So it's probably what we're going to see a lot of is. We're probably going to see different defensive line units um, 
to go for a drive. That's probably how they're going to plan this out. And then when they get into the red zone, then they're going to run their normal defense. But when tech gets into the red zone, they suck. So, and it's not, and when I say they suck again, it's just going back. Their offensive line cannot hold up. Like when you watch their offensive line, try to run block in those situations, it it really is like, it looks like the three stooges. So that there's going to be a lot of don't give up the huge game, let them drive down, suffocate them in the red zone. And we're going to give up some field goals. But I think that they, I think offensively, like they, I think they feel confident enough in the offense that they think if they can, if, if they're giving up a lot of field goals to tech, long drives and field goals to tech interspersed with punts or stop fourth down plays, um, where they're going to be very on fourth down, by the way, they're going to be very judicious for when they decide to, to block it up. Okay. There's going to be a lot of fourth and two where they're just going to go. It'd be great to stop this play, but what we really want to do is not give up the 60 yard pass. Mm-hmm. And so the and tech's going to get three yards and that's okay. Um, all it means is that they finish the possession or that they, they keep the ball, but there's going to be a lot of that. And then, and then in the red zone, trying to shut them down. I think that that's like, that's going to be okay in this game. I think tech's going to get a lot of yards. I don't know that tech's going to get a lot of points. It definitely seems if tech is scoring a lot from outside of the red zone, that's, that's bad. really bad. Yeah. If tech is scoring in, like, I just don't think that tech's going to be able to like consistently do well in the red zone against this defensive front. There's just there's not enough space in to, to to spread everyone out the way they want to. They their offensive line can't hold up, and so if I'm Baylor, the goal for me would be eliminate the major plays, let them drive down and take their time. We don't care. We're going to rotate defensive linemen, and once we get into the red zone, there's probably going to be a few possessions where like they're going to the red zone and Baylor's going to take a timeout, and then they're going to rotate in from there second or third string level um, defensive line guys, and they're going to rotate in the starting unit and they're going to run like a three down front and run their normal base defense um, inside the red zone. And they're going to be able to hold up. So I think it's going to be a lot. I think you're going to see a lot of like a lot of different defensive line combinations between the twenties. And you're going to see the starters really inside the red zone and in key leverage situations. Like that's where you're going to see those guys. Um, I think they can't hold up. Yeah, I mean, I agree, and and I know we didn't have a chance to talk about the offense, which is un- un- unfortunate because I think it's a really interesting matchup on this side of the ball. Um, we do think on this. Yeah, uh, go real ahead. Quick. Uh, the game that this is going to remind me the most of, I think, is going to be TCU from last year in that they really want to stop their defensive line. Okay, that worked really well against TCU. That is a boomer bust situation. So if Baylor, if it busts. Baylor's going to probably get like 20 to 27 points in this game, I think. If for Baylor's from Baylor's perspective, if it busts, Baylor's going to be in the low 20s. But if they block that up, that is like, yep, Baylor getting eight yards of carry. Yeah, like, that's what we that talked about this offseason when we talked about Baylor introducing these new interior run games. They're running a lot of duo. Um, basically, uh, very, very quickly, the idea is if a defense is stunting, trying to stunt towards where they think the wide zone run is going to go, um, if you can basically punch them in the mouth as they're trying to move sideways, it's it's impossible to defend. Um and so that's what that's what you got to watch for, and that's why Baylor killed Kansas because Kansas was overplaying that wide zone, and then they would occasionally just hit him right up the middle or off the backside. So um, I just want to say real quick about the offense before we get out of here. Um, 
And this ties into the defensive game plan that you were just mentioning, Jeff, of basically, you know, keep them from scoring big plays, bow up in the red zone, because I think the idealized version of this game and it's idealized, but I think it's the, the likelihood of this of this flow happening is pretty strong, which is that Baylor's consistently having four to six minute possessions. And so yes. that's when you feel really uh, Baylor's offense. And that's where you feel really good about allowing the other team to move the ball three yards at a time on the other side of the ball, because Baylor would love to get to the end of this game. And each team only had 11 real possessions. If Texas moving the ball between the twenties and then you're bowing up in the red zone, that's fine. Where 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 this game could get away from Baylor is with if the young kids on defense start making mistakes, all of a sudden you're looking at 14, 15, 16 real possessions and giving up big plays. Even if your offense, even if and this is what we saw against West Virginia, even if your offense is keeping up, that's just not the, the style of ball that Baylor's been comfortable in playing. So I think you they want to be able to control the clock offensively. And it's not even as much about time of possession. It's it's about long drives, um, giving their defense rest. Um, anyway, so I think you want to see four or five, six-minute possessions. And then if Tech is able to drive the ball down the field, okay, but make them do it in 12-play drives. Yeah. Um, the last thing before we get out, like as I'm looking at this, I I lean towards Tech winning. And I say that because the secondary has to the secondary has to have multiple stretches. They they can't have too many stretches where they the pressure gets to them mm-hmm. of being on the road in a night game as fast as they're going. Like it's right. just so easy to make a mistake, and that's the offense. The offense is we're going to pressure you to make a mistake, and then you make the mistake, and mm-hmm. we got sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's that's going to happen, and it's going to happen a few possessions of the game. The question is going to be, can they tamp down on that to where there's like one of those mistakes per half and they're giving up 30 because they've got, you know, tech has 14 through normal offensive flow and getting into the red zone and executing and 14 on that. That's a big difference from 30 to we have a, what happened against West Virginia or kind of what almost happened against Kansas where there's like a 15 minute stretch where we make a ton of mistakes and, You've given up 24. So they give up 14 with the mistakes. I, they're, I think they're going to win. If they give up 24 with the mistakes, I think they're going to. It's going to run away. I, I, I think schematically and stylistically, I really do think Baylor has the better team. If I felt more confident in the secondary, like being on point for as much as possible, if they take that step this week, they're going to win. If it's kind of what we saw against West Virginia, if it's against what we saw against West Virginia, they won't. If it's against what they saw against Kansas, I think Tech probably wins in a close game. But if they are, if they improve, let's put it this way: if they improve this week, like they improve from West Virginia to Kansas, Baylor's going to win. And there's like a chance that Baylor wins this game by multiple possessions because stylistically, they can like they can they can lock them, they can block their ass, like they just can. Yep. So it, you know they can line up, they can block their ass, they can control the run game. And they can control them in the red zone. If they're able to execute that without mistakes, I mean, they can beat them and they can beat them pretty soundly. It's just a question of, are the kids comfortable enough growing up to get there? And I am really, really excited to watch this at 1145 when I get back from home <laughs> night on Saturday night. Yep. Um, you know, obviously a million other things I could say here, uh, but I, I, I really hope we get to see the full on 
Jeff Grimes' uh, dirty, dirty run game here where they're using every trick in the book. Um, and not trick, I, I just mean like the full run game, every every scheme they have, because I think to, to for Baylor to win this game, and if they're going to win it with any sort of comfort, it's going to come because they're just able to really run up, um, line up and run the ball at will. I know at will is kind of a subjective term, but basically, you know, be able to control the offense through the line of scrimmage. So that's what I'll have what? my eyes on. I know we got to go. There's one more thing I want to say, and this is to the specifically. Um, the style of that tech coaching staff is going to make, if they win this game, it's going to make some fans think that the tech staff was, or the tech players were tougher because Joey has that style to him. And there's one thing I really want the fans to know is that Baylor's not going to get out toughed at the player level in this game. Like they may lose the game because of mistakes. But it's not going to be because they went in there scared or they went in there and um, the tech guys were tougher. Because I can promise you, like the offensive line right now is looking at those guys like we're gonna we're gonna block your ass, we're gonna run you over. Like enough of this, we go fast. Like you're locked in here with us. We're not locked in here with you on fear of the dark. Like that is the approach the offensive line is taking into this game, and I just. It's gonna be fun. So we we both we both gotta be at work. Yeah. So we should. Thirty-five twenty-eight Baylor. That's uh that's my prediction. Jeff, do you want to put a score total out there? Or are you just gonna let it hang? I'll put, I'll say something. I'll go in. But I'll say something like 34-27. 34-31 Tech. Let's put that out. Thirty-four thirty-one Tech. I would be wrong, but that's my spot. 